0: And welcome to part two of this incredible, interesting show. It, at least it is for me. If it isn't for you, well, I can't do anything for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> and so, anyway, are you ready for part two?
2: Yes, I am. Okay. Uh,
0: did you make entries for that one, by the way?
2: Did I make what?
0: Entry, uh, like a list of entries for that one?
2: No, I didn't. But I, um, June 23rd, 1398, is the one that I wanted to talk about. Yeah
0: okay that's where it begins 23 is that it mm-hmm, 1398 okay hey before we go on here let me just ask you he talks about in book one he says oh, today i must appear at Manorial court with the free man to discuss the matters of the state do we know what a that- free man is
2: Yes. Uh, This is something Scott misinterpreted. He thought it had something to do with the Freemasonry. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) But a a free man is um, just someone who owns his own property and is free of indenture or not enslavement, but um, they work for the Lord. These are people who aren't necessarily, you know, knights or royalty, but wealthy.
1: Hmm, hmm. Bourgeois
0: before the bourgeois revolution. Yes. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, and before we go on, uh, I understand you know Timothy Hogan.
1: Yes,
2: I know Tim. I've done his genealogy as well as Scott's. <laughs> did, did you
0: did you get to know him through Scott or?
2: I did. Um, right.
0: Right. Okay, that makes sense. I was
2: introduced
1: to him through Scott. Yeah,
0: okay. Now the reason I'm I'm open-minded about this being genuine is that another order not masons, not Templaris, but mm-hmm. which is just as old, if not older. In fact, uh, Dr. Jocelyn Goodwin, a professor at Colgate University, you know academics, you're an academic yourself, you know how conservative they are with admitting old age of stuff. They, oh yes. <laughs> right? They hold back the reins, they're critical. Well, he wrote in his book, Real Rule of Four, about that mystery school. That he, he's managed to track down, which is very well done, because they go by different names, mm-hmm. not just in different countries, but also by different time periods. So he said that's maybe the only modern Western order that can trace a lineage back to uh, the ancient Greeks. Oh, wow. But um, it's different names for it. So it's very basic. The only way you can survive... Throughout the ages is to first remove everything that attracts people with the wrong motives that is position, power, status, wealth all that stuff mm-hmm. uh, so you keep as uh, so a poverty ideal then share with the Templars and the second is you have to have very small and decentralized groups and as autonomous as possible, very important. <laughs> and the third is to go under the radar don't make a, a show of yourself uh, at any age <laughs> so uh, yes. right. So go under by different names etc and, and by the, that way it can work as a personal network going through the centuries and very often that was connected with families as we see obviously in the case of the masons and uh, especially the templars and that's how it's done has to be, be that way <laughs> so I, I, I firmly believe it's possible if not in this case, you know, it's a final evidence, I think it's a good chance. So, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know what? You know what? Let's not beat around the bush. Let's go straight to the Jews, Diana. Okay. Because we left the story where they were preparing for their grand trip. Yeah. And now it opens with it.
2: So, yes, Volume 1 ends as they are planning their trip to the This one begins with their first trip in 1395. So Volume 2 opens with their first trip in 1395, not 1398, 1395, and their reasoning for doing this was to bring some of the Templars to the Americas, and they bring Templars with them who stay behind, and it talks about several of the different places as they go, and also to scout out the places that they actually want to bring the treasure and deposit it Mm. and when they talk about this they talk about bringing half of the treasure which means that there is a a point later where they bring the second half and volume two gets into those places that they plan on taking it and then the places where they actually do put it Um, mm. the map is very important because on one side, you see the outline of the coast of Nova Scotia and the different bays and things like that. But the back of the map has pictures of islands.
0: I know, and this is important. But let me just say the entry of 1st of May, 1st of May, by the way, very interesting date mm. that it's the 1st of May. Why would they leave the 1st of May? Well, masons, knights, templars, esoterations in general know the answer to that. So we leave this daybreak from Kirkwall. That's... Um, or- That's Orkney, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. For the Western Banks, with the blessing of King Robert. King Robert of Scotland? Yes. Robert Bruce?
2: I don't know if it's Robert the Bruce, but I'm assuming it is.
0: Yeah. And with the support of, note, the herd man.
2: I was clueless at first, but that was a word that I didn't even translate. I just put it in the way it was.
0: But I've told you about it, right? So yes. You, you know now. Now I know.
2: Now I
0: know who the herdmen were. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll oversee blah blah blah. Brother David Sinclair blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, our goal is to. But this is interesting too. Uh, by the way, he says Yatlan. That's one of the. Isn't that one of the islands in in the Orkneys? Yatlan?
2: Um, I think it is. Yes, it
0: is. Yeah, but then he says our goal is to find a better route to the empires of China further south. Than the ice-covered lakes and suitably land for settlement beyond the boundaries of growing When we visit on our journey, so okay, he hasn't been there since he was eight,
1: right.
0: so he may be forgiven not to know that to get to China you have to <laughs> go all the way. Th- <laughs> at, th- at that point, there wasn't an open uh, channel in the Panama, so you had to go all the way through Chile. Yes, um, but his thinking was right. Well,
2: I think- well, I think they were th- thinking about going up through the Hudson Bay. Oh. And most of that, of course, is ice covered, mostly all year round. Yeah. But.
0: So. So I think, I think he's rather thinking that because he understands, as most did, that the globe is round. He understands that mm-hmm. you can get to China by going to the West, but he doesn't know it's a continent going all the way down to Antarctica, right?
2: No, he doesn't
0: know that. So he probably thinks if we just go more south than we've ever been, we'll find, you know, we'll just go on to China. That's probably what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Who, who on earth would want to take the ships up to Alaska and, the Bering Strait. That's crazy. Uh,
2: no, yeah. yeah, Wouldn't make it.
0: No. So uh, that's just one interpretation. But he also admits here, we travel with 120 remaining Knights Templars. Those at Bannockburn. Who's uh, the people at Bannockburn?
2: Um, Robert the Bruce fought at Bannockburn against the English. And he was certain to lose because he had very few numbers. When all of a sudden... On the hill behind him um, showed up something like 100 to 200 Templars. Hmm. Now, this was after the Templars had been banned. So, these were the Templars that had been hiding out in Scotland. And some of the descendants of those at Bannockburn. And he did win the battle. He won the battle at Bannockburn because of these Templars.
0: And and this is mainstream?
2: This is mainstream. Hmm. Um, There is... William's grandfather, I think, was also called Henry. And he was the one who was in charge of those Templars. And so now they are taking the 120 remaining Knights Templars in search of a free Templar state. Uh, Here he actually puts it out there. You know, this is what we're doing.
0: Hmm. And he says, we search for suitable places to transfer the treasure hidden in Scotland. So he's not saying half the treasure, though.
2: No, but... um, Later on, we find out Volume 2 deals with um, Henry's voyages, where he's gone. Volume 3 contains information that was written in Old English that um, John Weems in 1812 couldn't read. He couldn't read it, so they didn't know what it contained. Um, Once I translated it, we found that Volume 3 contains the information for a group who um, were Templar descendants. And also, Sinclair descendants who brought the second half of the treasure. And that treasure came from the continent in around France and from one of the abbeys on the west coast of Scotland. So, what they're taking, what Henry Sinclair is looking for suitable places, is for the treasure that was hidden in Scotland in the Weems Caves.
0: Mm, right. And the stuff from France may be the rumored stuff from uh, Languedoc. Yes. I don't know how you... Yeah. And chartres. Um, and uh, then there's the stuff that they brought up from... Uh, from, from Venice. Uh, Venice, which is a, a part of this batch, actually.
2: Yes, it's part of this. Mm. And he talked about Niccolo and Antonio going with him and how they intend to stop at um,
0: Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to speak with the old thing and... yeah. Okay, so this is interesting. Then you comment it. We let's go to the next entry. And oh yeah, people, you should see the maps here. There are maps here that shows the seas and the currents. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you put in their likely routes, somewhere Or
2: yes, I put in the likely routes. Um, the one thing listeners should be aware of is volume two is not available to the public right now. So while we talk about a lot of these things, we can't actually share them because we're working on a documentary. Right. Scott's been talking with um, different production companies and and people about that. So, I can't give you a lot of details, but I can give you the general idea. Mm. But yes, there are pictures of the map. There are pictures of um, the island maps where they supposedly planned on putting things. Mm. But... As we'll find out with the uh, one particular entry that I chose, although they were going somewhere else, they landed somewhere different because of a storm where they (laughs)
1: intended.
0: Right. Let's let's get there, but uh, not yet. Uh, He says, uh, "Continue." They spent seven days in Greenland. Yes. Uh, We continue uh, with eight ships, quite a fleet, Mm -hmm. to relocate the remaining Templars who came in. But
2: that number eight is very important. Right. In Tradition.
0: yeah that's right but but he says to relocate the remaining Templars who came in 1358 is he referring to the Templars who came to Scotland or what is he talking about here
2: um, where is that, is that in 1st of May uh, in 8th of May
0: 1395 8th of May so he's going to relocate people so it's not just
2: he, works, uh, he just wants to find them <laughs> I think in this one, he's just hoping to find them. He doesn't know where oh, to
0: locate them, not to relocate them, because it says relocate.
2: It does say relocate. And the only thing that I can think of there is that when the people came in 1358, they may have gone all the way out towards the west. But then I think they also came back to the east where they could be, you know, returned to Orkney if they chose. Mm-hmm. Um
1: yeah,
0: and, and uh, uh, this is the storm, they have bad weather, Niccolò gets sick. They
2: have bad weather the whole time, and Niccolò no. um, apparently gets pneumonia or something similar to that, and he returns to Orkney, but Antonio and his men that came from Venice continue on with them. And this is important because they say that the Venetian archives um, have a record of Niccolò doing things in Italy and... Um, through correspondence at the same time that he was supposed to be in the Americas. Well, Captain Niccolo never made it to the Americas because he got sick and he went back to Orkney. Mm. Antonio's the one who went with them.
0: Antonio's the son, right?
2: He is the son.
0: Mm -hmm. And... uh also, I know that I've looked a little more into the Sino brother thing now, and I know that there are periods of the life that can't be accounted for. The only reason, people, that uh, some, it's not even uh, agreed upon in mainstream that it's not true, but the only reason is that they can't make it fit the current narrative. That's always a super bad reason for rejecting something. It's very unscientific. <laughs> we'd, we'd still be at a stone age if you had that attitude. Mm-hmm. So... So, But that's a problem. They can't handle it. So obviously they will... No matter how much you vet the Sinclair journals to the academics, it will forever be a fake. But that doesn't matter. The important thing is that we vet it as much as possible so that everyone else can realize it's not a fake. That's what matters. It's now, here is a ship route from Iceland to Greenland. They had to go, yeah, like I said, they go to Fjord at the eastern coast. That's where the main... Actually, the main population of uh, Greenland was in the south, but Mm -hmm. they would go straight over to the east, then to the south, and then they would go all the way up to the west, because that's where uh, I think they had as much as, was it 4,000 people living in the west? Yes. So, yeah. Okay, let's move on now. So, what entry should we go to next? I'm at page 23 now.
2: Um, go to the castle while they're exploring all these different islands and places that they're going to they run into a lot of bad weather yeah. and uh, let me find it here
0: and the natives they spot seems to keep the distance which tells us that it may not be the same tribe as the one they were dealing with when he was a kid
2: mhm it might not be the same tribe but i think that they've heard of him. yeah it was the 13th of something 19
0: yeah okay Uh, let's 13th smoke signal to the southeast tells us that some of our brethren survive am I going too fast? Um, the storm is on page 24 a terrific storm has beset us
2: Okay, that's and here's
0: some of the ship's names I like that both the ripostors and the Persephone Mm -hmm. have been driven out to sea and lost oh my god that means some of the treasure may be gone
2: that's true Um, and on the second voyage another ship sinks right in the middle of the bay. And although the wood and the ship itself might have been gone, the gold and the silver is still there. So somewhere out there, there's a pile of gold in the middle of the bay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but do we know what the different ships uh, were having as cargo?
2: Yes, we do. There is a synopsis of of each ship and their cargo um, later.
0: So we know the treasures they had.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And do we also then know which treasures are not silver and gold? Because those are those I'm most interested in.
2: Those are the ones that come on the 1660s voyages. If you ah, know.
0: much later. Yeah, we get much into that. Later. 1660.
2: Okay. I'm looking at 28 May, 1395.
0: So all, all the treasures we're dealing with up to now, and we're at 1395, all those treasures are just actually actually treasure, like gold, silver.
2: Actual treasure, Gold and silver um, artifacts, maybe the Ark of the Covenant, you know, maybe a gold um, statue. You just don't know.
0: Oh, I thought you said that we had the cargo. We
2: know we know if it's gold and silver or if it's just coin or if it's artifacts as well. We don't know exactly. Oh, okay. But when you get to um, Volume 4, mm. uh, John Jr. actually makes a list of the treasure that they find. No, I can't tell you where they find it. No, of course. But some of the things on there are, you know, broken swords, uh, shields. Um,
0: what about documents?
2: Documents, documents in clay tubes, um, mm. a green tablet.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. But
2: there's a long list um, of the things that they that he found in that actual spot. So, and that's
0: just something he found we do not know well, no,
2: no, There's it's a longer story than that they knew where it was and they went and retrieved it
0: right but all I'm saying is that some treasure must have been lost here and there oh, or yeah. during all these years and,
2: and there's, there's other treasure out there from you know volume 3 that's never been retrieved mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but on the 31st of May in 1395 this is where they found the remains of the riposte in the middle of the bay Um,
0: That's one of the ships, yeah. Mm.
2: Mm -hmm. He said several bodies were washed up on a nearby island, and they can only suppose that the remainder of the brethren have drowned. They continue to search for the Persephone. Um, But it talks about those. And then here's the one that you were reading. Um, A smoke signal to the southeast tells us that some of our brethren survived the Ortis. Which is one of the ships will continue in that direction. And when they get down there, this is an interesting thing because they arrive at Sable Island. And Sable Island isn't really an island, it's a sand dune. It is a huge sand dune that sits right on the edge of the deep ocean and it moves because the waves, you know, shift the sand mm-hmm. every year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But it's big enough that. People can live there, you know, for a period of time. And it has been used in the past to dump um, oh, felons and people like that from Scotland.
0: Really? Yes. Well, so, so, so are we talking about a huge sand island?
2: It's a huge sand island and it's called... S-
0: How huge? Can you see from end to end?
2: Oh, yeah. It's probably 10, 12 miles long. And it's in the shape of a moon.
0: Um, okay, so if you dump uh, criminals there... Do they have any way to get to the mainland from there
2: no no mm-mm.
0: so they will die there
2: they'll they'll die there and they'll eat fish and you know have to dig holes in the sand dune to protect themselves and and things like that but
0: and there's no trees there
2: there are a couple of shrubs but no trees
0: mm-hmm Okay, interesting.
2: Usually to call something an island, it has to have one living tree. <laughs> right,
0: right. Except but, Iceland. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so so where is this exactly?
2: It's on the southern end of Nova Scotia. And there's a picture of it. Um, figure eight is Sable Island. And you can see how... Crafty. Oh,
0: that looked rather idyllic with the grass and everything.
2: It has grass and everything, but it's sand. It's all sand.
0: And the water there, is that f- fresh water or?
2: Um, no, that's ocean water. Damn. It's 47 kilometers long. Right now, there's about 500 horses on the island.
0: So how do they survive then?
2: They eat the grass.
0: And they have to drink too, I, I assume. hmm So then, then people could survive, actually. it's uh, 47 kilometers is pretty big.
2: That's pretty big. And, mm. and there's. if you keep going down, there's a picture of <coughs> the island and how you see it curve. Oh, look
0: at that. Wow. And those are
2: names of all of the um, wrecks along the island.
0: Oh, wow. It's a famous wrecking point. <laughs> Known wreck since 1583. This is before that. So, this is w- what sunk the... What was it again? The... The Miramac. Yeah. I
2: think it's them. Right. Um... The Merrimack in 1999 and the HMS Delight in 1583.
1: Right.
2: So, um, but they did take 70 colonists there, but only 11 survived. <laughs> and that was-
0: Could you repeat how many did they take? I didn't quite catch that.
2: Um, the French had tried to colonize it in 1598 with criminals from the prisons in Rouen. Mm. And out of 70 colonists, 11 survived. Wow. Okay. The others had run out of supplies, and they probably cannibalized some of it. Yeah. But they either died or murdered each other, and they lived in underground dens to avoid elements. So we go into a little bit about
1: that. Yeah, um, but
0: that's it, you know, because they were criminals. If it was like uh, a hundred uh, Templars, I think they would be more brotherly, <laughs> you know.
2: Oh yeah. But um, okay, let's talk- let's move on then. So, they do go down and they find the people there on Sable Island. And that is the ship that Captain Antonio was on. So, they rescued them.
0: Ah, the Venetian ship.
2: hmm
0: And, and uh, uh, do they say anything about the treasure there?
2: No, they don't. And like I said, this is un- public, uh, not public yet. So, I can't really give you those details. No. But in, here, in this book, you're going to find the ship's list, of um, the crew for each of the ships... Uh, let me find that one entry, the Catherine. Mm-hmm. The Catherine was the lead ship, and this is June 23rd, 1398.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: This is on the second voyage. The first voyage is where they you know, picked up Captain Antonio's ship, and they scouted out the islands and tried to decide where they were going to put the treasure,
1: mm-hmm. and they
2: also they had a lot of interaction with the natives, so um, it's very much worth reading. Mm-hmm. On June 23rd, 1398, disaster has visited our journey and we are lucky to have survived a horrific violent storm this past night. Once leaving the Isle of the White Stag, we headed south-southeast in search of a protected harbor, large enough for eight ships which we had visited on our prior voyage. Instead, we were driven further to sea by a sudden violent storm which came from the north in midday hours. As darkness approached, the thunderous rain and lightning, struck the mast of one of the ships to our starboard bow, and I watched in horror as it was driven south with the current of the seas. Two other ships were driven off course, and I could see them making for land with the promise of regrouping after the storm. The Catherine, under my command, was driven on shore a small island of about one and a half leagues by a rogue wave midnight, which means they couldn't really see where they were. Hmm. It was not till this morning that we were able to ascertain our position of latitude with a slight variance. And these latitudes are blacked out so that people just can't go there.
0: Yeah. Uh, just one thing, Diana. I want to notify you. Uh-huh. I see you have attempted to hide, but yes, unfortunately they are not. Well, I can, actually, I can actually see them. So if you're sending this out to other people, you should just know that you need to do a better hiding job.
1: <laughs> I will.
0: Okay, I'm not going to go dig there, no worries. <laughs> but Yeah,
2: okay, I will do that. I'll I'll get them hidden better.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you should. Uh, there is ways you can do it. It's tricky with PDF, but I would do it in Word if I was you and then Okay. Yeah.
2: So, back to the journalist. Yes. Uh, let's see. With with still cloudy skies, it is difficult to be exact. Our rendezvous point is many leagues distant and unapproachable in our condition. The mast of the Catherine has been torn asunder, and we were pushed onto this small island. The hull was pierced by a tree stump, spilling our ballast of acorns and supplies all around us. We are ledged between trees and appear to have been lifted halfway across this small island. Our cargo remains intact midship, but it will take weeks of labor to free and repair the ship.
1: Mm,
0: so the cargo is, is safe.
2: It, well, yes, the cargo is still safe. And then if you go on to August 1st, they talk about how they tried to free the Catherine, what they did to, um, it says we have felled trees to the west and have attempted to dig a ditch filled with water that she might slide into the harbor on the other side of the island, which we have named Dog Island.
0: Okay, okay, before we continue, we are now in 1398,
2: right? Right, this is the second voyage. He came in 1395 to scout it
0: out. And that's the one we were reading before, and they went back from that one.
2: And they went back from that one.
0: Wait a minute, so when they got the Sino on board with Italian galleys and everything, Mm -hmm. that was not for depositing, it was just for scouting? In in your interpretation,
2: uh, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell because he doesn't really talk about treasure on the thirteen ninety five voyage. Mm. Just where are they going to put it?
0: So so they could have uh, put everything in the caves. Yeah. G- have them guarded, then go and scout in ninety five, then return. Yes,
2: and in thirteen ninety eight they actually brought it with them.
0: And and do we know how big the fleet was in ninety
2: eight? It was eight. Eight ships.
0: Eight ships, okay.
2: And later in this book, there is a um, synopsis of the ships, their crew members, right. and...
0: And know was involved in 98,
1: too?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both in 95 and 98. In 1395, there were... Eight ships, the Ascipator, the Itinuner, I can't pronounce these, the Paraquin, the Repostus, the Somnium, Speculator, Ortis, and the Persephone.
0: Some of those ships could probably be verified in official records, especially those from Italy.
2: Well, I, they may have back in the 1300s, yeah. Um, Some made it and returned to Scotland. Uh, one of them, the Paraquin, explored the East Coast. The Repostus was lost at sea. Um, some others, another one went back to Scotland, and one went north to the St. Lawrence River.
1: Mm.
2: Another one returned to Scotland, and the Persephone sank at Sable Island. Mm. So they lost 67 men, but they had 145 remaining.
0: Yeah. And so it was uh, quite a tragedy, this trip, actually.
2: It, both trips. And then in 1398, the periclin went back, it carried treasure... The Catherine, Catherine carried treasure, but it was grounded. Mm. The Somnian carried treasure, and we pretty much know where that one went. The Orkneys carried treasure. The Ortis was lost at sea, but it carried treasure. So somewhere there's a pile right. of gold sitting around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, somewhere, man, anywhere. <laughs>
2: yeah, the Eppercise also carried treasure.
0: But, you know, I think we should read in entirety the entry of Okay, the entry of August 1, 1398, they are obviously in Mahone Bay. It wasn't called...
2: Well, that's what I thought, too. Yeah? Um, 1st of
0: August... But, but let's read it because this is interesting. It says, we have labored for many weeks to free the Catherine mm. and are unable to do so while her cargo is on board. We have felled trees to the west and have attempted to dig a ditch filled with water that she might slide into the harbor on the other side of the island, which we have named Doug island yes the island is uninhibited and has no evidence of having been visited by the native people recently at this time five other ships have been located uh, and lodged in the harbor which we have named for queen margaret margaret's bay right. in our search for the other ships we have located the wreck of the autos midway across the bay and are still searching for survivors, two of my own kinmen among them. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so, Dog Island, what do we think?
2: I think they named it that because that's what it looked like to them. Mm. But, and this is something that Scott called me about last night, all excited.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In reviewing some of the documents that deal with the Cremona document and other things that Don Rue has, um, they're talking about another island in another bay, which they called the Isle of the Dog, and that ties these two different documents together. Mm. I've always thought, I always did think that Dog Island was Oak Island.
0: Oh, I thought so too.
2: But Scott says no. He thinks that the island they ended up, was, up on was in um, today's St. Margaret's Bay, which is Halifax area.
0: Right, right. Uh, and by the way, those coordinates, the longitudes, uh-huh. I checked them out. They're pretty close to Oak Island, actually.
2: That's what I thought, too. But if you go north, there's another one.
0: <laughs> but you have the coordinates here. Have you put them in and see where they lead you? No,
2: we haven't yet. We, we haven't yet been able to visit that place. Okay. But um, I thought it was Oak Island.
0: Yeah, because when you hear how he describes it, he says... Um, that we will try to hold it other to the other side. Now, we know there's a ship in the swamp. Right. And we also know now that it may have been two islands, actually. Uh, and
1: well, Scott feels
2: that it was always one island because um, mm-hmm. there's a drumming that runs between them or along the side of it. And being a geologist, I right. trust him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, so he thinks it's always been one island.
2: It's always been one island.
0: But but the the swamp must have been more watery back then. Anyway, um,
2: um, it might have been, but there are there's a 1932 picture of Oak Island mm-hmm. which shows no swamp. The mm-hmm. swamp didn't it wasn't created until they actually put the road in.
0: Right, right.
2: So you know, it's just I don't know.
0: It could be the the original bay.
2: It could be, or it could be up in Saint Margaret's Bay when mm-hmm. in some of the later journals it talks about John Weems senior who is John Weems who died in 1812's father mm. he was part of the british military and they were posted on an island up there um during one of the wars between france and england to watch the harbor
0: mm.
1: and
2: it says they could see halifax
1: mm.
2: you can't see halifax from oak island no and that's when I almost threw the whole thing in the garbage and, and walked away. I thought, no, I can't
0: do. Yeah, it. because because your only entry to this was Oak Island. Why didn't you contact the Oak Island people back then? By the way, or did you? Um, I did. <laughs> you did, yeah. Okay. I
2: actually contacted um, Marty. I sent him an email. Uh-huh. Never heard from him. He right. never got back to me. So then I contacted Scott, and Scott didn't get back to me either. Because no, because
0: they get 20 like these every day from cooks, right? So
2: They do. And in, he wasn't on Facebook much at that time and all of the emails that, you know, at the end of his show, he'd say something like, if you know of something that I should look at or, yeah. or visit, send me an email. Well, he never got any of those mm-hmm. emails. <laughs> so he never got a hold of it. Um, and then… Uh, finally, I reached out to him again and I sent him some pictures and he started to get interested. Mm. And it was right after that that Rick um, Lagina mm-hmm. was going through Marty's old stuff and found my inquiry to Marty. So, Rick called me one night. Uh, we talked for several hours. And then I talked to Scott again and I decided to go with Scott.
0: Right. Because, unfortunately, there's some... Yeah, bad vibes between those two camps.
2: Yes, there's a lot of bad blood there Mm. because of things that have happened in the past and people that they were working with, and so. And I'm glad.
0: Actually, some of the troublemakers are dead now. So, (laughs) but um,
2: well, there's still one left down in Texas, so we won't talk about him.
0: Okay, so but the interesting thing here, whether this is Oak Island or not, they say three nights will stay
1: Mm-mm.
0: on the island once the treasure is buried to make certain it is marked and kept safe until our return.
1: And
2: they do, and they do leave three nights there, um, and in subsequent journals, you'll find out that when they, get by, when they go back, there's one left. The other two have married native women, and they've moved on to the mainland.
0: How, how many years transpassed between uh, he goes back and, and…
2: Almost 75 years.
0: Oh, jeez.
2: Yeah, they were close to and And, he,
0: and uh, still a knight, uh, he must be… We see that if he was 20, then he must be 95.
2: Yeah, he was very old. So, um, typically, they went back every 30 to 40 years, you know, once a generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a couple of times when, because of political unrest, they weren't able to leave Scotland. Mm. So, but volume two is really interesting because you'll get into um, the map and the islands they visited and where they put the the treasure. And um, there are pictures of the map and there are pictures of the island in this book. So um, this is a really good volume to read, and this goes all the way to sixteen forty. Um, it goes through journal number 13. I numbered them just to keep it easier.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: There were 20 journals. Okay. And um, the next ones in volume 3 are in Old English. And this is the one that nobody could read until I finally got it translated.
0: So, so, so the, those that we've in book 1 and book 2 are all from Latin then?
2: They're all from Latin mm. and they were all they all had to do with Henry Sinclair. Mm. And then Also, in this volume, it gets into some of the other Sinclairs. Um, He dies in about 1404 in an attack by pirates in Orkney. And we assume that he was buried in Kirkwall. Hmm. But then it goes on to his descendants and people that he had given these to, which is really kind of interesting because... One of his sons was called the Rastral, and um, he went over to the Americas doing what he was told to do, but his intent was to take the treasure, take it back to, to Orkney in Scotland, and make himself rich, you know, and wealthy. Mm. And the Indians drove him off the shore.
0: Yeah, this is—is is this a grandson of Henry Sinclair? Yes. Okay, uh, let's do this orderly. So, so Henry Sinclair dies in 1404.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then the next, I, I remember that some of these Sinclairs don't write very much. No. Uh, when they write, it's just about this obligation. The
2: next, one, the next one said, I have not time to visit the Western lands and dislike the smell of the sea. Right, right. It's like, excuse
0: That's the son.
2: <laughs> that's his son. It's like, what?
0: Yeah. And then it's the son of him again. Mm-hmm. Is that Henry the Builder?
2: I think that's William the Builder.
0: Will, William the Builder, I mean, yeah. hmm And we know he was uh, somewhat passionate.
2: We know that he went, yes. And, you know, people always talk about Roslyn Chapel and how there are um, reliefs of corn. Well, where did he get that corn from?
1: Yeah.
2: It came from the Western lands. But I don't think he specifically got that image from the western lands because the natives used to trade with Greenland mm-hmm. and there was corn in Greenland as well. Mm. So you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah, yeah, or a grain of corn. Yeah. <laughs> but is, uh, is uh, when was uh, when did Henry live? I mean William the Builder. Uh, William the Builder, he was
2: 1408 to 1480. To 1480? eighty.
0: Eighty. He, he was
2: a third old of Orkney.
0: So he died just four years after his grandfather died. He could have. No,
2: he was born four years after his grandfather.
0: Yeah, that, that's what I meant to say. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, he was, so
2: he never knew his grandfather, but no. he did respect his dying wish and he made the trip. And it talks about it changing him and the things that he did. So after.
0: when did he do the trip? He did
2: the trip in 1432.
0: So we know, so after 1398, the next one we know for sure is 1432? Yes. But then I think most of the original Templars would be gone, don't you think?
2: Yes, only their descendants would be left.
0: When was Um, it that Columbus officially went over?
2: 1492. Columbus sailed the ocean blue.
0: (laughs) Yeah, ah, that's how you remember it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's what they teach kids in school. That's what
2: they teach us in elementary school. Right,
0: <laughs> yeah. Clever. So 1492, so that's uh, 100 years after Henry and those guys have been there. So
2: Yes, and two or three of his descendants had tried to go. Uh, William the Builder went. Uh, William Sinclair the Waster, he went but got driven off the shore. Mm. Um, Henry Sinclair... In 14, nine, 1459 and then you come up to um, the Journal of... Wait a minute, 14, 14...
0: What did you say? 1459
2: that's in book 7
0: Fifty nine. I wonder when it was Columbus went to you know Columbus went to Iceland
2: 92, um, he would have gone between Henry Sinclair in 1459 and David Weems in 1494 and Dave, Earl David Weems was um, Catherine's husband.
0: Yeah, but we know for sure... This
2: is where it changes his hands.
0: Let me see. Columbus in Iceland. We know for sure that he went to Iceland in... Uh, he, we have a letter where he admits it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in... I said it in that show, but I forgot already. Um, did Columbus go to Iceland in 1477...
2: So, David Weems went before he did.
0: Yeah. And w- what uh, we now think happened there was that uh, uh, because he disappeared, mm-hmm. he didn't just go to Iceland and then back. He w- left Iceland and then came back to Iceland. So, uh, what people think is that he went, researchers think, he went to Greenland. Yes. And there he enslaved the Greenlanders. Probably what was left of them. That's not good. And he even forced them to recant about the Vinlands.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, he brought them back and forced them to uh, admit. And and then he came with a huge armada in uh, in 1492. Mm-hmm. But obviously not going that route. Then he went to southern route, uh, landing on yep. Middle middle of America. It's right
2: in that time period that the books change hands and it's a really interesting story as to how they went from the Sinclairs to the Weems.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I have that here to ask you, so let's take it now.
2: Well, I can't tell you a whole lot about it, but um, I can tell you that David Weems married Catherine Sinclair who was Henry's third great-granddaughter and there are several... um, Journal
0: entries about why she did what she did. So, yeah, are, are we permitted to read some of them or?
2: Um, I know.
0: Recite the reasons? Scott told me. No. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so, so no, but we know they changed hands and uh, uh, for good reason, we can say, right?
2: Yeah,
0: good reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have some entries which. I think, will not be a big deal to read because they don't reveal that much, but they are of interest to our folks. And what are those? And that's to do... It's Bacon. And Scott already has said on air that uh, those entries are there.
2: Yeah, that also caused um, consternation for me because by the time he wrote it in his journal about having met with Francis, Sir Francis Bacon, yeah. he di- he had died...
0: Yeah, you know that's not a problem, and I'll get to that. But first, it's in fourth of May, sixteen seventeen, where Bacon very much is alive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He says, "This day we meet at Grace Inn in London with Sir Francis Bacon to discuss the movement of the remaining treasure to the Western Banks. We meet again in three months' time." Now, here's where I see that Oak Island can't come into the picture because Bacon has been connected to Oak Island. So, for me,
1: yeah.
0: for me, it's no big deal if if the Templar treasure wasn't in Oak Island. And we're not... But
2: he says remaining treasure. So I'm assuming that Henry moved the first half of the treasure Mm. and these people are moving the second half of the treasure.
0: Yeah, or at least parts of it. Mm -hmm. Then there's a new entry a few years later. uh, And is there any trip that we know of between 1617 and 1621 to America?
2: Not not that we know of. But at this time... Nova Scotia was kind of overrun with the French and the English. Yeah. Um, And the Acadians were there, and so it it, the Dutch were there. I mean, people forget that the Dutch were there also and probably had an encampment on Oak Island. Mm. Um, So they may not have gone for good reason.
0: But if there was already accessible mines or something there, it would be a piece of cake to transfer more stuff over there.
2: Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
0: Of course, Scott doesn't believe in that uh, place. So let's just mention that. But, uh, (laughs) you know, nobody knows everything. So if he's wrong, that could be a potential. Then it's 22nd of September, right after actually... Autumn Equinox 1621.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: meet once again with Sir Francis Bacon. We have decided upon a plan to move the rest of the treasure and to mark its presence. We hope to move soon. This is interesting. Mark its, pre- first off, why do they need bacon? Yeah. And mark its presence sounds Really, because what you are unfamiliar with is that there's a chap called Peter Amundsen, a Norwegian researcher, who has.
2: Yes, I know Peter. Uh, oh, you know
0: about him? He's cracked mm-hmm. the te- uh, the the code of uh, bacon. Mm-hmm. Bacon even gives up a, a map, mm-hmm. and and that could be ve- could be what he says when he says to mark its presence.
2: Well. Um, as we get into the third volume and the trip that they actually do make
1: mm-hmm. and
2: the places that they leave them, um, they do mark them with eight-point um, eight, eight point stars.
1: Um, oh,
0: okay. That's what he means. Other
2: things. So, that's yeah. what I said about the markers. Uh, there are eight markers, and I've actually found three of them so far.
0: Hmm. And then there's the mystery you mentioned. In 16th of April, 1626, he says, we meet once again with Sir Francis Bacon, William Cranbourne, and Peter Lely at Grace Inn in London. Yep. Our plans are complete. That's the last Bacon reference, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. And by the time he... I don't think that James Weems would have carried the journals with him. Hmm. So when he met with him... He went back to where he came from, dug the journals out, and wrote it down. Um, He wrote it down on the 16th of April, 1626. Mm. But Bacon had died by then. Mm. So they must have met him right before he caught pneumonia from... Freezing chickens or whatever it was he was doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, there, there's one uh, alternative explanation. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, it's very likely what you said. He, he meets him while he's still alive, gets home, makes the entry, doesn't know he's dead by then. Yes. Fine. But there is also the explanation that Bacon didn't die then. I don't know if you know it, but there's a huge conspiracy theory out there. <laughs> Bacon, oh, I didn't know that. No, they haven't even found his... Uh, his corpse, it was supposed to be in this cave, uh, very cloak and dagger the whole thing, hmm. very arranged very, very dramatic, very Shakespearean, actually <laughs> uh, and then and then, there's all those people who claim that Bacon is buried in Oak Island because Thomas Bushell Bacon's closest uh, his disciple, basically mm-hmm. was also a mining expert and he made several trips to New Atlantis, if you like Okay, uh, and he even said in one of his letters to prepare a final resting place for his master. So it's not Bacon himself who was, you know, sweating in the caves, <laughs> <laughs> of Oak Island or wherever. But I mean, he was a noble, probably the bastard uh, cousin of. Uh, uh, King James. Yes. And by the way, the reason Bacon is involved here I think is th- precisely through King James because he was helping King James all the time and James had ties to Scotland.
2: Well, we know that William Cranbourne is actually William Cecil and he's the Viscount of Cranbourne and he's also an English peer in the House of Commons so he also had ties with King James. Ah. The One we haven't been able to identify is Peter Lily. Right. But, you know, you're talking the 1600s and records weren't the greatest. Yeah. I found an eight-year-old named that.
0: <laughs> uh, not him, not but, him.
2: Yeah, P- Peter Lilley could have been a Frenchman. He could have been, you know, from across the... Um, Bacon
0: had many people involved yeah. in, in different aspects of, of his own uh, uh, riddles. So, obviously, there would be some... The only reason we know who Will Shakespeare is is because of the fame of the Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. If they were called something else, nobody would know about him. (laughs) He could hardly read and write. So, um, no, I think I find everything concerned. I lament that there is so little details around Shakespeare. I mean Bacon, Bacon. (laughs) But the fact that he's involved gives it credence, in my uh, view.
2: Well, and some of these um, men who had the journals didn't write very much at all. So for them to write you know, three or four entries about the same man was important. And I don't think these are the only journals that they would have had. They would have had um, more like business journals for their estates, but I've never been actually able to see them. I know the Weems had um, the memorials of the Weems family. They had uh, separate books Mm. for family information.
0: Yeah, um, a friend of mine said about Bacon that in, in uh, 21, actually, Pat Amundsen told me that in uh, 21, mm-hmm. Bacon was probably in St. Albans since he had n- recently been stripped of all honor and had been in the tower.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, but he said it should be possible to verify where Bacon was in 17 he could have been in Grace Inn uh, but he says uh, if I were you I would check his uh, letters uh, so the letters of Bacon are out ok there.
2: that's something I hadn't thought about mm. um, there's a couple of bit different people that we've had to place um, in volume 3 Benjamin Franklin is, is mentioned wow. at a specific date on you know at a specific place and we did a lot of research on him. Scott's wife did as well. Mm. And both Janet and I, I mean, we could find where he was before and after. Mm. But nobody knows where <laughs> he was that day. <laughs> Which
0: is kind of indirectly a verification, isn't it?
2: That's kind of strange. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, that's been a, a couple of different things that we've um, run across. And there there have been yellow flags. And, again, when I found out that Bacon had died before this entry you know, was
1: even made,
0: I thought, okay, in the trash. Yeah, yeah. Hey, there's an entry 15th of May, 1432. It says, we leave this day for the Western banks. We will stop first in Iceland uh, and at the Monastery of Groenland. Now, here's an interesting thing. We know that the Greenlanders died out during the 1400s. Mm-hmm. And the last bishop of Garda in Greenland, one was that, Um I mentioned that too in my post-rant, but let me see. So they may actually have encountered the last settlement in Greenland before uh, Columbus or whoever. Uh, mm-hmm. re- no, Columbus was in 13... 13- no, forty ninety two, right? So this is still good forty years before Columbus. Yeah,
2: this is before Columbus comes there, mm. and um, I did do some research on the different monasteries, and found out they were most likely at Skalhof, mm. which was built in the twelfth century, and it was the center of the ecclesiastical power. So that's what it, that's where they would have taken the bishop, but it's also on the south end of Greenland, in I- uh, Sorry, Iceland.
1: Yeah. So.
2: And I think this is the one they talked about that had um, hot springs underneath it, and it kept the monastery warm because of the hot water.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So um, yeah, I, I remember that entry. Uh, they were impressed with that. sounds Sounds like um, a real encounter to me, but I, I can't verify right now. I should have taken notes before we started, but. So, anyway, so they must have, so so how often, this was a trip in, was it 1432, I said?
2: 1432.
0: Uh, So, do we know if there's any trips between 1398
2: and 1432? Um, Let's see. There wasn't one in 1406, because he didn't like the smell of the sea. Yeah. (laughs) So, he... He skipped that one. Um, his son didn't go, but his grandson did go. And this is William the Builder.
0: This is William the Builder. So he went.
2: So he went. Mm. Um, the next guy went in 1458.
0: 1458. But
2: got turned back.
0: So that was uh, just an attempt.
2: That well, Yeah, he was never allowed to land because apparently the natives guessed at what his purpose was either that or it wasn't long enough after the last voids because they only came every 30 to 60 years
0: yeah but you know all of the treasure wasn't brought over by this by this time
2: no it wasn't it wasn't until after they talked to bacon and planned the second trip that they made arrangements to bring the rest of it over
0: Hmm. so uh, uh, was it william the builder who was turned away
2: no, it was William the Waster.
0: Yeah, and he was the, the guy who, if he had found anything, he would have taken it for himself, right? He was a greedy...
2: Oh, absolutely. In fact, it says here in one of the um, entries in 1489, um, I now have time to fulfill my family's obligation to protect or oversee the Templar treasure. My father has told me much about the treasure, and I hope to bring part of it back to help enlarge our holdings. In Midlothian and
0: Orkney. Mm. So. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, we we soon be going for three hours, so I suggest we wind down. But are there any other parts of uh, book two we should cover before we...
2: Um, just that the, the way it changed hands was very interesting. And like Scott said, Catherine Sinclair is sort of the heroine of the story. Um, because she saves it from getting lost. Mm. And it continues to come down the Weems family until it gets to my guy, John Weems, in Greene County, Tennessee, who died in 1812.
0: Yeah, so when, when does Catherine o- uh, take over uh, so it comes into the Weems lineage?
2: Um,
0: when does it change to Catherine?
2: Let's see, it goes to um Let's see. Book seven is written by Henry Sinclair, who was born in 1459 and he died in Flodden Field in um, 1513.
1: Mm.
2: His daughter Catherine gave it to her husband, David Weems, on, in 1518.
0: 1518, yeah. But, you know, any trips being taken after Columbus, or at least after the official colonization, mm-hmm. would be on the record. You would hope so. Yeah, but didn't they record all the, all the ships going west after it was a colony? Maybe they didn't. I don't know, but...
2: Well, these ships went to Nova Scotia. Yeah. And they left from Scotland, and they left from Weems Bay. Um, Weems had their own shipping lines. Mm. So, it's hard to tell.
0: Oh, they had their own shipping lines. Yeah. (laughs) They could take a covert trip any time of the
2: day. Yes, and they were known to be smugglers. So,
0: used
2: to say they didn't smuggle people.
0: (laughs) But but, uh, the official trips we know about is 1354, 1358, 1360, Mm -hmm. uh, 1395. It's a huge gap there. I wish there was at least one trip in between. 1398, 1432, and 1458, which was a uh, just an attempt. They didn't take anything over, they didn't find anything.
2: The next ones were um 1489.
0: Uh, was that uh depositing or collecting or neither?
2: Uh that's Catherine's husband that went. And
0: securing probably. Verifying and securing, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah.
0: Because he was uh, uh, into the craft. He was like a believer.
2: He was a firm believer. He was, you know, the uh, Grand Master. Yeah. So then in 1518, he makes a plan. He makes a plan to go to the Western lands then. And he takes...
0: Uh, I see what's happening here. He goes in 1489. He realizes, hey, this is a much more clever hiding place than the stuff we've got (laughs) at home. (laughs) Let's just bring everything over.
2: Yeah. So, and it's interesting the places that they put them, because those places had never been found.
0: Right. And he couldn't know that just three years after, Columbus would put everything on the map.
2: Well, in, unless Columbus got all the way up to the St. Lawrence River, he wouldn't have known it. <laughs>
0: no. No, no but, but I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter, because after Columbus, everything got mapped, right? So that's what I mean. After, yeah. uh, th- 1492, three years after he went on that record. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was he was just stalking out to check. And then in 1518, he actually moves it over,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is after Columbus. Yes. Right, right.
2: Well, it's a really interesting story up to this point. And then after that, um, volume three talks about... The- The trip actually having been made that Francis Bacon had helped to plan and the places they put it. And number four talks about um, John Weems Sr., who is John Weems Jr.'s father, the guy who died in 1812, Mm. and his visit up there.
1: Mm.
2: And then the last one is John Weems, born or died in 1812. And he actually authors three different journals. Mm. and that may fill up a whole volume right
0: now and okay he's fond of writing so he probably fills up half the but does he at least give new information for example was there a family narration that did he only have the journals to go by or did he was he also told more orally
2: Well, we think that he was told more orally because a lot of things that they did or that would have had to have taken place were never written in the journals. Right. So we're pretty certain that he probably got a lecture from his father or his grandfather or something. But um, all of these men were Freemasons, every one of them. Yeah. And I don't think that John Jr., when he died in 1812, was the last one. I think that They copied the journals, made certain they were safe, and uh, at least one copy of those journals went west with his oldest son. Mm. Because it always went from oldest son to oldest son. Mm. And that's important.
0: Except where he was unworthy and Catherine took over.
2: Right, except when Mm. he was unworthy.
0: Mm. Well, um, what I'm looking forward to, when uh, I guess it will be the fourth volume, uh, is or maybe the third, is what they say about masonry in, uh, you know, in the late 1600 and early 1700. after masonry comes out of the shadows.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's going to be interesting to see.
2: Well, and there are, it talks about several med- meetings by the Masons and the places that they met, the people that were there. And that's where Benjamin Franklin comes in because he was the grandmaster mm-hmm. of the province of Pennsylvania.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's mainstream. I mean, we know that. Mm-hmm. So, but it
2: talks about... Um, several different meetings that they go to and their involvement. Mm.
0: By the way, are you going to change your entry, uh, the context explanation of Dog Island?
2: Um, I'm not certain. I I may. And I know there are a couple of corrections and formatting things that I need to do. Mm. So um, I want to do all that before.
0: I, I suggest you expand it rather than you've done so much hard work already and, and just keeping the possibility that it could be in Oak Island is a commercial good move because of <laughs> everybody Know in, everybody's interested in Oak Island right so throw them a bone and then uh, the probably more real version okay. could follow I think that's a good move
1: okay I think you're right
0: is there anything about the family of um, Roosevelt
2: no, there's not. Mm. It doesn't get that close to that time period.
0: No, but I mean, the family would still be around back then. So the family, mm.
2: you know, I haven't I haven't looked into that. I don't know if his ancestors were around at that time period.
0: I think there's three notable families, at least three, uh, that has Freemasons who has digged at Oak Island, and all three of them is said to have come there because of um, family lore, family narration.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Roosevelt is one of them. The other is one of those who discovered the so-called, one of those for the myth, and the second is one of those uh, companies who was digging there uh, early. Well, non- there,
2: there is a um, connection to Roosevelt, but I no. I can't tell you. <laughs>
0: no right right but you know when uh, in the future book two will be out uh book three will be out and and book four will be out i suggest you come back when uh, i mean if it's up to me come back when every new book is out and we do updates uh, where we can go more into details
2: okay well, it sounds like the grandbaby has woken up, so okay. I should probably sign off. <laughs> you
0: should. You know, I was just going to ask you about your books at the end, which we usually do. So, could you give a couple of more minutes for that? Sure. Yeah?
2: Most of the books that I've written have to do with genealogy.
1: <laughs> right.
2: But there are two books that have to do with Templars and who they are, where they came from, and it... Um, it's really a great book because it tells about the castles and the commanderies where they lived. Mm. And it tells the history of all of these places. And I noticed that when I did the index for both of them that treasure was mentioned at least 30 times in each book. <laughs> it covers every country that Templars came from. Wow. And these are just Templars up to 1314. Right. Um, I thought I'd do the Order of Christ next.
0: <laughs> wow, you must be some kind of, uh, you know, super genealogist. <laughs> so you're, you're not so concerned with the myths and legions, you're just giving the material facts. Mm-hmm. These are the dates, these are the families, Yes. I just, these are the names.
2: Yes, that's what I do with that. Because I don't know all the battles they fought in. I don't know all the, the politics behind no. it. I just wanted to know who they were. Yeah. Where did they come from?
1: Uh,
0: what about Norway do you find Norway or Sweden do you find any Templars from there
2: yes mm. I found quite a bit few from the northern area there's some in Germany in North Germany there's you know some in Switzerland uh, Norway Denmark
0: mm. a- anyone from Bergen Bergen do you remember
2: oh I don't remember
0: yeah <laughs> that's my hometown <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and
0: the next question would be what were the names but
1: um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: I guess people from burger would have to get the book as uh, everyone else. What, what's the books called?
2: Templars. Who were they and where did they come from?
0: Yeah. No nonsense. Uh, that's in two volumes, you said?
2: It's in two volumes. The first volume covers England, Ireland, uh, Great Britain. The second volume covers uh, the rest of them. France, Germany, Portugal, uh, the uh, Mediterranean area, Israel, mm. Palestine, all of those.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And then there is, except for the genealogical work, then there is the uh, j- Journals of Sinclair. W- what are they actually called in book form?
2: It'll be The Lost, ju- the lost Templar Journals of Prince Henry Sinclair, Volume 4.
0: Volume, uh, volume 1 to 4, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, okay. So, uh, and number one they can already get, right?
2: Number one, they can already get, um, as soon as Scott is done um, negotiating for the documentary, um, he'll let me know when I can let the other one go.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay.
2: And the other two in process.
0: Right. Well, it sounds wonderful. This is just Good. brilliant. So, uh, uh, for now, I thank you so much for partaking in this, and uh,
1: oh, sure. if you're you to
0: come to back, back when uh, number, two number two is out, two we'll uh, go, go even deeper, deeper into the details then. Okay.
2: okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you have, have a great weekend. weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: okay. okay. Thanks okay. a lot. Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
0: Now, I know that I told you in the show today that I was going to read to you the Zeno narrative, but Actually, I've changed my mind. <laughs> I will read it for you at a later show. Maybe next time we have done up. But no matter, you can research it yourself if you like. Or or just wait till uh, next opportunity. Because I found out that I'd rather read to you two forewords in book one of the lost Templar journals of Sinclair. Now these two forewords deal with the question of their genuinity and I think as fun and interesting as the contents of the journals are and as much as people would want to know their contents, Another debate that will be lingering on, of course, is their genuinity. If you look just at the Sino narrative, after all these years, they're still not cleared. So I don't expect anything else uh, concerning these. But if they actually verify archaeological traces at the locations that they give, I mean, that... Even that, I mean, that should shut up the discussion, but we know how it is. It doesn't matter how many facts you have. It all boils down to, does the narrative serve the controllers or not? If it doesn't, it's not going to be accepted. So that's where we're at. But for the rest of us who doesn't have to bother about how much your paradigm can handle, we look at... The matters objectively and neutrally and so i think it will benefit you to hear the four words written by two different people one is by scott walter who you already know of course and the other by a chap called terry tilton now uh, let me start with scott's uh, comment to these journals The personal journal entries you are about to read are the first of several installments that collectively represent either the greatest story ever told or the greatest hoax ever sold. Very strong words indeed, but in this case they are more than appropriate. When first contacted about the journals of Earl Henry Sinclair and his descendants I scoffed and deleted the emails. The third attempt included photos of one of the journal pages and of the lamp-skim map. They got my attention. The email included Diana Muir's phone number and I gave her a call. We quickly hit it off and after hearing about what she claimed to have, I invited her to Minnesota so I could introduce her to several friends, including several Freemasons, to try and vet her story. After the meeting, Diana shared the journal entries with me, and after reading them, I was convinced of one thing. If there was even one chance in a hundred that they were authentic, they had to be vetted thoroughly and carefully, for they were potentially far too historically important not to. Over the course of the next two plus years, Masonic scholar and past Grand Master of Masons of Minnesota, Terry Tilton, and I, drove into vetting the journals with a vengeance it quickly became apparent that if this were a hoax it was a masterstroke of deviant genius that had to have involved several individuals with a vast array of knowledge in various disciplines to pull off if authentic the history these documents contain is explosive and sheds Important new light on many different aspects of history, as well as the individuals named in them, over the course of just over four centuries, 1353 to 1770. This first of three personal journal books, reportedly written by Earl Henry St Clair, reveals many previously unknown details about his life and activities from the time he was 8 years old until he was 51, in 1395 some of the most interesting and important aspects of the entries in this volume include the following the scottish templars led by sinclair's who's traveled to the western lands numerous times including earl henry's father william sinclair ii who made the trip a total of seven times himself Impossible to comprehend at first glance, the idea of frequent trips to North America becomes all the more plausible given the Cremona document tells of Templar voyages coming to North America as early as 1179. There are three books that tell the Cremona document story, in ascending order, by the amount of content they are, Aknaton to the Founding Fathers, Mystery of the Hooked X by Scott Walter, the Templar Mission to Oak Island and Beyond by Zena Halpern, and the Scrolls of Ontiora by Donald Rue. It seems a hoaxer would be more conservative in a number of trips, knowing the context of currently accepted beliefs of historians. The Templars no longer existed in a mid to late 14th century, let alone ever made it to America. The fallacy here was the idea there was no pre-Columbian European contact has no factual supporting evidence and numerous documents artifacts and sites found in north america directly refute this erroneous narrative the young earl henry made numerous mentions of both old and new religious holidays and numerous mentions of the great goddess who was central to his clan's spiritual beliefs these entries are also consistent with my own research into the true ideology of the Templars. The importance of the goddess to Templars is also supported by numerous mentions within the Cremona document. Their veneration of the goddess lies at the heart of the success of the Templars' secret medieval activities in North America because they shared a similar ideology as the indigenous people they constantly interacted with and eventually assimilated with. Only a deeply knowledgeable person on a team of hoaxers could insert these aspects into the entries in such convincing fashion. Beyond myself and a very few others, we know of no others who understand the complicated goddess ideology of the Templar leadership. Here is where one of the most important realizations of this journal begins to emerge. In multiple entries between 1373 and 1388, Earl Henry refers to what can only be a fugitive faction of medieval knights, Templar. The Templari, being sheltered in the Weems caves, are clearly supported by Earl Henry, the Brethren, and other important Scottish families, most likely for their similar ideological beliefs and their service to King Robert the Bruce at Bannockburn in 1314. These entries suggests, along with Earl Henry's mention of Hiram Abiff, the apparent evolution of the strict asceticism and celibacy of medieval Templarism into an early version of speculative Freemasonic ideals. The surviving Templars, who had escaped to Scotland after 1307, were protected by the ruling families. We are no longer celibate after being outlawed by the Roman Catholic Church and monarchies in England and France. Earl Henry and the Croft's steadfast support of the Templari begs the question, was this when and where the rites and rituals of medieval Templarism merged into speculative Freemasonry activity present in Scotland in the 14th century? If so... This is a huge revelation and deserves to be researched in much greater depth for its potential impact on modern-day Freemasonry is profound. The revelations of Earl Henry's initiations into Freemasonry are detailed to the point that only someone who has experienced initiation into Templar rituals themselves could have written them. If this was a hoax, while not impossible, the likelihood a Freemason was involved in such a hoax is extremely remote, given this type of nefarious activity goes against Masonic teachings. If authentic, these entries have enormous historical ramifications for Freemasonry that will be studied for many years to come. Arguably one of the most important aspects of the later journal entries involves Earl Henry meeting the Italian navigators Nicola and Antoni Zeno. One of the most controversial documents known from this period is called the Zeno narrative, a descendant in the family reportedly restored letters that were alleged to have been written by Antonio Zeno in the 14th century after having been torn up by the family member as a child. The document reports numerous factual events most of which are consistent with the information provided by Earl Henry upon meeting them. One important fact in the journals that differs from the restored Zeno documents, which state that Niccolò and Antonio were brothers, is that according to Earl Henry they were actually father and son. For me personally, the most important entries by far deal with the 30 men that we learn came from the western lands to establish a settlement in the spring of 1358. It can only be referring to the party that carved the Kensington Runestone in 1362. The implications of the Kensington Party entries are huge and appear to confirm nearly all the claims about the artifact i have made over the past 18 years while admittedly hopeful that the journals are authentic due in no small part to these specific entries it is also these entries that give me the most pause they almost feel like they were written as a trap on the other hand would a hoaxer so blatantly pander to a known proponent like me by suggesting the kensington inscription carver's name My collective research has proven the artifact authentic, which means somebody connected to the Templars created it. And the story that unfolds in these journals fits perfectly with what we already know. I have also traveled to Tennessee to vet Diana's story about where and how she came into possession of the journals. The archival building where she said she got them does exist and contains valuable information about the people who lived in that area at the time of and after the Revolutionary War and about the individuals who wrote the last six journals to be published in the future. So far Everything Terry Tilton, Diana Muir and I have been able to vet, has proven to be true and correct. However, many of the over 300 individuals mentioned by name in the journals, whether they were Templar knights, crew members or Freemasons, have been impossible to determine. In fact, our inability to find any record of many of the individuals is exactly what should have happened. Even for Freemasons like Terry and I, who are allowed access to certain Masonic records, non-Masons cannot, we were still not able to find confirming documents for many of the names listed. This begs the question of how and why a forger would make up so many names of people known to exist and others we can find no record of that we still have many questions about these individuals actually supports authenticity of the documents. If all the names could be readily found by us, they could also be found by a forger. Details about our research into the investigation of the journals will be presented in the future. I invite the reader to decide for themselves if these captivating entries represent what amounts to the first installment of one of the greatest stories in the history of the world, or the most complex and secretive work of deception ever assembled. Whatever the eventual outcome, these works are nothing less than sheer brilliance. Thus Far Scott Now I'm going to read Terry's comment. As you open the covers of this book and those which follow, you will begin an adventure like no other that you have ever taken. You will be challenged to rethink who were the early discoverers of our North American continent. You will be surprised to learn of a Knights Templar Masonic Covenant which began over 400 years before the founding of the United States and which was renewed for 15 generations to make our land of religious freedom a reality. You will be heartened to see the connections this story makes in answering the why and how of many historical artefacts and settlements known to archaeologists. And above all, you will be amazed that all of this has been kept a secret for 665 years until now. Over two years ago, I was invited on this adventure as one of only five persons privileged to read the translation of the journals in their entirety. Since that time, hundreds of hours of research and thousands of pages of affidavits have been amassed to try to prove or disprove the veracity of these documents. Native American elders, linguistics and Masonic scholars have been consulted. Masonic archives from Scotland, Nova Scotia, Canada and the United States have been searched to prove or disprove that the more than 300 persons named in these journals many as knights, templar or masons existed at the times and placed noted to date we have verified many as being alive and having the connections which are described in these journals if you stop to think about it that it is an amazing fact for if these journals are a hoax they contain information from 5 centuries 14th to 18th centuries that even today, with all our modern research and technology, is hard to amass. Speaking as a Freemason, there can be no doubt that if this story is true, then it can only be known as the real Masonic secret. And perhaps equally exciting for students of Masonic history are the references to craft initiation and ritual that are named using titles in the higher degrees used today. E.g. Scottish Rite, 4th degree, Secret Master, referenced June 1st, 1365, and the 11th degree, Sublime Knight Elect of the Twelve, referenced December 1, 1371. But even more startling is found the earliest known reference to the legend of Hiram Abiff, in the mason's third degree, referenced October 18, 1365, this day I am raised to the next degree, parenthesis level, by the craft and have learned the meaning of the architecture of the chapel. I have also been instructed on the manner of the Honorable Hiram Abiff's burial beneath the temple. End quote. The use of Hiram and Abiff together, which is a uniquely Masonic association, antedates all previously known references by nearly 300 years. Simply amazing. For Freemasonry, these journals may point to long sought antecedents of associations with the Knights Templar and the nascent moral and ethical foundations of our craft. I can state categorically, as a Freemason of over 42 years, an American and a student of history, the story that is told in this book, and the expected six volumes that will follow, is unprecedented. If it is untrue, it is still the most exciting story ever told. If it is true, One can only wonder how Providence, the Knights Templar, the Freemasons with the dedication of so many European and Native Americans brought it to pass and not once until now ever revealed their story to the world. I want to emphasize to the reader that with all the work that has been done of verifying the internal evidence of the journals we simply do not have the originals or even the copies that this translation comes from except for only three surviving pages to date these pages have not been subjected to carbon dating to verify their exact age but ultimately the proof of the authenticity of these documents will come from the archaeological evidence that these documents will lead us by giving exacting locations and details. Anxiously, we await the filming and search for this evidence if indeed it exists. Although we believe there is ample reason for excitement with the discovery of these documents, we, like you, must temper our enthusiasm with the hard proof which we believe must follow. Until then, please enjoy and decide for yourself what proof you need to believe this story. Rest assured, we will continue to look for that truth and announce our results to the world. The Reverend Terry L. Tilton So, there you have it, folks. Um, Of course, they have been carbon dated since he wrote this. So the internal evidence checks out, the carbon dating checks out. Um, And while we wait for the physical evidence to check out. We will treat this story with an open mind, put it on the shelf without having the infantile need to make a judgement call. No problem, open-minded, considering it and awaiting it to be checked out. And treating it as if it's true until then, because because it fits with everything we already knew anyway. So even without these documents, we would know the the gist of the story. They only zoom in on details that are not actually needed, and they also uh, confirm. So, of course, if they somehow were not to be genuine, it doesn't take anything away from the big story from Solomon's temple to Arcadia, as we call it. But we will lose an important piece of evidence, of course, and all the great details. But as I said, the real useful attitude to always have in face of these things is uh, to be critical. Not skeptical, or certainly not pseudo-skeptical, but critical. Critical means an open-mindedness where you give it a chance, you look into it, you understand it, you try to verify it, but also you're looking for signs uh, to falsify them. And so if, at the end of the day, you only verify and never get to falsify anything, you have no choice other than conclude that it's real, no matter what your emotions or your paradigm dictates. And that's where most people fall off, of course, because they're simply not mature enough to be able to do that. Indeed, few are. Most people have emotions twisted so deeply into the mentality that they can't distinguish one from the other. As will be evident from that in the comments field under this show, I bet some people with low impulse control can't help polluting it with their opinions, as if anybody cares What we write, or verdicts under us. I'm not even, I'm not just saying that, oh, I think they're fake. Just as useless to have people say, oh, I think they're real. Uh, Unless actually they are adding something to the conversation. Like more information, a question, a reference, a comment, whatever. Or like provide reasons for why, that's useful. But just a blatant judgment call. Fake, fake, fake. Completely unnecessary, uninteresting for everyone, and is the behavior of a child. But, of course, it will happen. It's YouTube after all. And we'll just have to indulge it. That said, in general, I expect more of you, my listeners, because you already are tuned into a show which whole mission is to throw curveballs into your paradigm and shake it up now and then doesn't mean we get everything right doesn't mean you have to agree with everything or accept everything but at least we provide material for you to consider in order for you to make up your own mind and that ladies and gentlemen is called formation and education and is almost a lost art today that's it thanks for listening remember to subscribe thanks for your support and thanks to my team I've been your host, Al. Until, Until next, time. next time. Be, be seeing you. Who is number one?